0: Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp EdTech, dedicated to interviewing leaders at the front end of technology and innovation in education, hosted by the amazing, the outstanding, the incredible Holly Owens. Now let's get to it and hear from your host, Holly Owens. Hey, guys, we all know how hard it is to onboard new software, especially CRM software. You know what I'm talking about. But you haven't checked out Element 451. You can get up and running and see return on your investment fast. Implementation isn't just another line item to worry about. It's included in Element's straightforward pricing. The onboarding is streamlined because Element knows higher ed and automates things other companies do manually all without sacrificing customer service. And you'll be able to send out those acceptance letters within weeks. You don't have to outsource or wait on other departments for campaign content. Element comes with pre-written, professionally designed emails. It's an all-in-one, modular-based CRM system for your admissions department. If you want to increase yield, increase your enrollments, you got to check out Element 451 at element451.com. That's element451.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of EdUp EdTech. My name is Holly Owens, and I'm your host, and today I'm extremely excited that I have two of my best gal friends, instructional design friends from Online Learning Toolkit, and they are the co-founders. I have Melissa Whaler and Judith Dutill, and they are here with me on the show. So welcome, ladies. How are you? We're good. Thanks for having us. Hi, Hi. I'm so excited to have you because you all, I have watched your growth and, you know, all the great things you've done with OLT from, you know, the beginning and just watching how busy you've gotten in the good way and seeing all the institutions and people and faculty that you've helped. So I'm really excited to get into this episode today. So now, since we have two of you, we'll have to go back and forth and, you know, make sure everybody gets an opportunity to answer the questions. So first, I want to talk about how you all found yourself in the ed tech space. So how did you get here? What is your journey? So I want to hear both of your stories. So Judith, if you want to start and then Melissa, will hear your story next. Sure. So I have made it into the ed tech space Um,
2: I'll go as far back as when I was a kid. I am one of those um, folks who straddles the line of Gen X and millennial.
1: And I like, like
2: that's a good one. So (laughs) I, I've, I had a very analog life and I had a very digital life. So it's, it's a little bit of best of both worlds. So I was very lucky to be introduced to computer for communication purposes um, when when I was young, and I, as somebody who's introverted, really took to communicating in that way. And um, when I was in college, I studied communication, and I continued to explore technology and communication. I went into a faculty role after I was finished with grad school but I often um, taught web enhanced courses and I helped faculty with technology and I just really enjoyed that role. I got into online teaching and the rest is kind of history. I, I moved from online teaching into instructional design and that is where I met my co-founder and very good friend melissa whaler who will share her story here in a moment and we've just been working together ever since exploring how technology can enhance communication and learning
1: that's great and i'm i'm you know i'm excited to hear your story and how you started and i'm with you like i was about 10 years old when we got our first household computer mm-hmm. so i had i know that analog life i'm what, considered to be one of the older millennials or they call centennials. i don't know what they have so many different <laughs> names for us these days so do you remember it, your first computer i do it was a compact my grandmother signed up for you know every <laughs> compact like every two three years you got a new computer with them because um, you paid the fee yes i remember that um, and I actually remember going to my first chat room. So you wrote ASL, it, you know, it's just, yes, that's how old we, I don't wanna say how old we are, that's how experienced we are, but we wanna hear Melissa's story. So Melissa, tell us your story about how you journeyed into this space.
3: Yeah, so I will I will absolutely pick up where um, kind of Judas left off because my journey really formally into the ed tech space started when I started working with an instructional designer um, when I started teaching online. And I just got really hooked on this idea of integrating technology into my pedagogy. And I worked with that instructional designer who was brilliant and amazing and taught me so many things. And then Judith came to the institution that I was working at and really revolutionized. I give her so much credit, revolutionized my entire pedagogy, um, specifically my online pedagogy. And that's also the story of the toolkit because we sat around and started talking about how incredible it is to find a partner who one knows the instruction and the classroom and the other is currently teaching. And what a great relationship we had. And we wanted to um, create something and a, like the toolkit, a space, a community, a place where people could, you know, make those important connections. People who are currently teaching in the classroom, new to online spaces or have, you know, had online spaces and been in them for a long time. And that was really, Eye-opening for me when we have started getting out and talking to people. They're like, "I have an instructional designer at my institution." I was like, "You need to go find that person. <laughs> that person right. is a treasure. Ask them um, for help. <laughs> ask them. They want to help. That is their job. They love helping you." And so, um, I've now transitioned full-time into instructional design myself, and that's and, and now I, I work with that with the toolkit, um, and we do faculty development and support that way. And yeah, so I, I will happily tell everybody that my journey my foray into ed tech proper started with judith who got me absolutely hooked on the idea
1: well you you guys speak very highly of each other and you you always talk about you know all these great things that you can do in the online space and i was like oh my gosh these gals they really have it together and i'm so i didn't know the the story of that judith was was working at your institution that you were teaching at and you kind of met that way and it sounds like you know just your passion for teaching and Judith's passion for technology and learning, like it just all kind of fell into place. It's like the, the, the ed tech gods were playing a hand and they brought you <laughs> two together. And now we have the online learning toolkit, which is awesome. Um, so those are that's wonderful stories. And of course our audience loves hearing how you got into the space. But another question I have, and we'll start with you this time, Melissa, is you know, and because of your experience, how do you personally define educational technology? I've talked to a lot of different guests and everybody has different definitions, but as an expert in the field, I want to hear your view.
3: Yeah. So I come from it, um, from a teaching perspective because that's, that's my home place. That's where I feel most comfortable. And so for me, educational technology is really that technology that can support, the learning that happens in my classroom and that can be any kind of technology. Um, I'm, my training and my background is in English. And so one of the first things I always tell my students is the book was considered a technology, an educational technology. Um, Right. And the pencil
1: with the eraser.
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think that so many times we jump right to the idea that it has to be the newest, um, the newest technology thing, the newest digital thing. And there's educational technologies all around us and finding those and identifying those and helping students to see that we are surrounded by things that can teach us objects and, and artifacts that can teach us. It's really an incredible journey. So I, I would say that I, I come from it from that perspective.
1: That's awesome. Judith, what do you think? What's your personal definition?
2: I tend to think of, um, educational technology is a building block in your instructional design. So I I never encourage faculty who I work with to look at technology first. We we always try to look at what it is that we're trying to achieve and what resources we have access to and um, how can we be resourceful within our, our space and achieve the things that we want to as far as learning and engagement are concerned with the things that we have available to us but it has to work with the design that we have in place. That's really how I think of it as more of a, of a solution.
1: That's great and I think, and just piggybacking off of that, Judith, that the fact that the technology does not replace the teacher, the technology, like you're saying, shouldn't be the first thing you think about. It's just, it enhances the experience. And it also, it helps helps us meet students, the students that we're currently teaching where they're at, because they have not experienced a world where this sort of availability of tech tools and devices and the internet, and just, it's so readily available. So it's it's here to stay, <laughs> it's not going away, despite what what we may think or what we may want. Um, and we're gonna talk a little bit later about how COVID has impacted things, but I'm gonna save that little tidbit because I know both of you ladies have a lot to say about that. And now I want you to both speak to, I want you to give the audience, and when I ask this question, um, It's basically trying to give the audience a vision in their minds of what OLT is, what the Online Learning Toolkit does. Um, So talk about the product, the service, and describe how you help, you know, institutions, organizations, or those in education. And we'll start with you, Judith. So we'll just go back and forth.
2: (laughs) So the Online Learning Toolkit is a community for faculty. And it's it's just going back to that idea of um, you know it's it's you can't be replaced by technology. So we we really put the faculty at the center of the experience, um, and we provide resources and professional development to help faculty develop their instructional design, their online teaching practice. Um, all within a supportive community of practice, where faculty are interacting with us, but also with one another, in addition to our our resources and our materials. And I, I would say that's the most simplistic way to look at the online learning toolkit is that, right. that community.
1: It's really hard because you guys do so many great things with OLT, like how to put that into a vision i i think i asked a tough question there and i'm thinking to myself i'm like why do i do this to my guest <laughs> but yeah it's like really you have to encourage the the listener to go out and actually explore it. so melissa did you have anything to add
3: yeah i I would just say community is really at the heart of what the OLT does, Um, and that community of practice that we facilitate is really doing the thing that Judith and I used to do with each other over coffee, and it's just bringing everybody together to have these kind of conversations about teaching, online teaching, you know, and, and Letting the conversation and the community go where it needs to go at any given time. We've spent a lot of time recently in our community talking a lot about the impact of COVID um, and what that has meant for us both professionally and also personally. And it's that it's a space where we can acknowledge that we are, you know, whole human beings um, that do need professional development as educators, but also we need support as people who work in education. And so that's, that's a lot of what we do too, is um, just really connecting with educators and helping them connect with one another.
1: I think it's so essential too, for the educators to have that safe space to say that they're not okay. And that community really helps with that support because you are not alone in that You know, even pre-COVID, just feeling like there's a place for you to even just go vent or share those ideas and find other people who are like-minded and understand and can empathize directly with what you're going through, you know, in being a teacher and like I said we're going to get into the COVID-19 stuff but it's just there's so much pressure I see all these articles and things come out about how much educators do and the work-life balance and the educator really doesn't have a work-life balance especially when they're teaching virtually and they're at home with their kids or taking care of full-time families and all that it's it's just so much I can't imagine you know I am an online teacher but for those K through 12ers, just being with those kids all day and then having to do do things in the evening with children. I just, it's a lot. Can you, can either of you speak to those experiences about how it's been and we can get, let's get into the COVID topic. So how's it been for you? What are your, your, your customers saying and, and what support are you offering them to deal with all these challenges during the pandemic? And we can start with Judith. I'm going to flip a coin every time.
2: (laughs) So I feel like even even without COVID, online learning, um, because of the technology, because of the unfamiliarity that folks may have or the inexperience that folks may have with online learning, um, it is an intimidating space to enter for a lot of faculty. And when COVID happened, it happened so fast and it pushed everybody into that space. And I remember, I don't remember the exact statistics offhand, but I remember when Melissa and I were um, starting to support faculty during this time, reading statistics about how few faculty had actually taught in online space in higher ed before covid happened and then all of a sudden we're at almost 100 <laughs> percent
1: yeah so know, we were at 100 percent. these people the, these faculty who who argue with us and melissa you can jump in here too who argue with us that this wasn't a viable modality or an option they completely had to change their perspective and what they believed and pivot to online learning crazy and
2: that's and that's, you know, I teach communication and we talk to, or I talk to students about, you know, in the in terms of persuasion, moving somebody's values or beliefs, that's very difficult to do. Um, and I don't think that it can happen overnight, even in a COVID environment. I don't think it can happen overnight. So we still have a ways to go as far as making everybody comfortable in this space. But I think that's mostly what Melissa and I have tried to do with our community is to just remind everybody who is teaching that there is a why behind what they're doing, that you're teaching probably out of that passion. It's your vocation. It's what you want to do because you love it and you love learning and you love your students. And so how can we harness that and make that possible online, even if it's somewhere that you don't want to be, <laughs> And and, and that's a lot of the conversation that we had very early COVID, I would say, is, you know, giving everybody the space to be frustrated and to, you know, accept that this is not what we planned for, but here we are. So how are we going to work with it and move forward? Um, And and that is something that was a big focus for us. And now I'm seeing that we are, and, and, you know, I, I'm sure that Melissa will agree here we're seeing folks who are getting more experimental and they're, they're kind of accepting that they're in this space and how can I learn more and how can I get more effective at what I'm doing here. And that's where you know we're going to take that community wherever our folks are headed so if that's what they want to talk about that's where the conversation going to go that's where our supports going to go as well. <coughs>
0: Are you ready to reimagine your admissions and enrollment marketing? Wherever you are in the admissions CRM selection process, Element 451 is here to help you. Now, why check them out? Well, Element 451 empowers admissions and enrollment teams to work more efficiently as they develop stronger, more personalized engagements with prospective students. Their cloud-based admissions, marketing, and enrollment CRM platform is powerful, yet easy to use, Complicated systems are exactly that, complicated. At its core are two of the most important ingredients for working smarter, automation and analytics. At Element 451, you get enrollment experts, marketers, engineers, data magicians, and thought leaders with decades of experience working in higher ed and ed tech to help you streamline your systems for more effective and greater yield. Visit them at element451.com. That's element451.com.
3: Yes, and Melissa,
1: I saw you unmuted. So,
3: yeah, go ahead. I, I, I would. Yeah, I mean, we're just, we're very passionate about this topic, as you can probably tell, and I, and, and part of that is from a space of. Um, understanding. When I first started teaching online, it was just something I was, here, you're going to be teaching online next semester. And I was really left to paddle alone in the darkness. And it was very difficult for me. And I had to seek out my own resources and my own support. And the fact that Judith and I can step in when people are feeling they're most vulnerable, um, even though I had 10 years of teaching before I started teaching online, I felt like I knew nothing about teaching anymore. And so the fact that we can step into that space when someone's feeling vulnerable um, and and give them support and say, you can do this. Here's how you do this um, and make it a very manageable process and a joyful process. Um, Judith and I are absolute tried and true educators to the bone. We love teaching and it doesn't matter the student in front of us. It doesn't matter if it's a You know, a traditional age eighteen-year-old student, um, a faculty learner, or an adult learner. um, We love teaching. We'll we'll teach that person if they're in front of us. And what COVID nineteen has really helped us to understand us as people who provide this service is that it is okay to tell people to embrace the things that scare them. Um, And to provide that support when we're feeling the most vulnerable, and then to turn that support and say, remember when you were feeling very vulnerable in this space? How do you think your students feel in this space? And, you know, helping to share that empathy and, and walk people through those human moments has um, really been uh, humbling, and we're very grateful to be able to have that opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, and I I think that you hit the nail on the head with how vulnerable it makes you to be in a space where you're not confident. And, you know, pre COVID, like you said, just getting thrown into online learning with little support, not instructional designers, there, let's just, let's just be real. There is a high, high demand right now post-COVID for instructional designers. I'm seeing jobs posted every day. I'm seeing K through 12 educators are coming to me asking questions about how they get into instructional design. And we are a necessary entity. And I tell people a few months ago, you know, or like a year ago now when COVID hit, it's like the world stopped, but education didn't. Mm We we went we went forward, we found ways to communicate with our students to make sure they're okay. You know, we had to keep going, like learning did not stop. Um, so I'm really proud of the, the fact that I'm, you know, and all of us that were in this industry where we can use the skills and the knowledge that we have and share it with others and develop this sense of community. That's another thing I noticed with COVID is that the silos came down. So we are sharing more, resources with each other across institutions. And that's all really wonderful for me as a formally trained educator is to see people connecting and helping one another. And especially, you know, for the learners, the experience that it provides to them. It's just, it's extraordinary uh, uh, for the learner.
3: Yeah, and, and I would say before, before COVID, you know, having people share resources, that was such a treasure um, to have somebody say, hey, I have this thing, would you like to see it? And I would be like, yes, please, I'll take anything um, because I was just so invested in seeing what other people were doing. And then the first couple of weeks, right after people went online last year, you just saw all these people, here's a Word doc, here's a Google doc. I've collected 20 resources on this. Here's And the sharing that happened in the virtual community space that opened up. Yeah, that crowdsourcing that.
1: was huge. Yeah,
3: it was, and it was this wonderful moment, and the only reason it happened um, was because we were all vulnerable, and so it wasn't like, I'm going to share this, and you're going to critique it, and I'm going to be exposed um, for, you know, not knowing what I'm doing, or, or all the things that we worry about in higher education, and everyone's just like, I have things, here are things, if they're helpful, please use them, and that ethos, that incredible approach to, you um, learning in that way and sharing in that way that is that is something i hope we can continue to harness um as a higher ed community and continue to practice because it was invaluable then and it remains invaluable
1: me too and i think it trickles down to from higher education into k through 12 like we should all be helping each other cuz every the learning process is so connected and intertwined so it's it's amazing what do you think judith
2: well like you said um, Education pers- had to persist through through this season of COVID, right? Because it's such an important part of our society and our culture, and our and really our infrastructure um, is is all fashioned around education, and we have to keep moving forward. I read an article. other day about why lumber prices are going up so high right now and it's because they're they're tracing it back to this beetle infestation that happened decades ago in in Canada and wow (laughs) yeah I mean I mean if we let education stop right now you know what does it look like in the future for us so we see the importance of it we know it we have to move forward and supporting each other to make that happen is so critical right now.
1: I think it's, it's interesting that you, you talk about that article with the infestation and then I'm thinking about how it happened in Texas with the, the winter storm and you know, the electricity and all that stuff and how that impacted maybe the gas prices. Like when things go down, where do you turn to for the support to to make sure that people are still getting what they need and you know the grocery stores and even covid like you can't find toilet paper you couldn't find hand sanitizer all that stuff and sometimes in education like what melissa's saying is you feel that you feel vulnerable like i don't know where to go for help i don't know how to ask for help um so in talking about that you guys offer a lot of different services a lot of different (laughs) workshops and i definitely want to highlight those so if you want to speak a little bit about what you do specifically to help faculty so that the audience has an idea if they're thinking about something for their institution or themselves. What are some of the, the services that you offer, the products um, that people talk about, that they want, that they love? So you want to talk about workshops?
3: Yeah, I will. So tell the- me everything. <laughs>
1: uh, tell me everything. I know what's coming up. I know cool is coming up, but we're going to yep. talk about that.
3: Yep. So I, I will talk. I'll talk a little bit about um, our the things that we do custom um, for institutions. So an institution will contact us and say, our faculty could really use more information about this topic. And then we can design for them uh, a custom webinar, a custom workshop. Um, a custom keynote address, all all based on a conversation that we have with whoever's reaching out to us and about what the faculty need in that moment. Um, In addition to that, we also offer, are going to offer again this year, um, COOL, which is our course learning, our course design um, experience. And that's a six weeks um, course design experience. It is both asynchronous and synchronous. We have asynchronous learning modules that will walk you through the Um, course design experience. And then we have synchronous sessions with the facilitators where we talk about whatever topic we're talking about that week um, with the whole community in a synchronous session. And then each of the facilitators also have individual office hours where you can get more of a small group help with your your course design. And that was extremely popular last year. Um, And so we are running it again this year. We're very excited. Last year, um, Judith will be able to tell you the numbers uh we had a couple hundred faculty go through the yes process. i want to hear
1: stats yeah we no had a- <laughs> it was huge i remember messaging i think you melissa and i was like how's cool going and you're like oh my gosh We're so busy.
3: It it was, the response to it was really overwhelming last year, I guess I would say, because, you know, with course design groups, we um, always anticipate them being relatively small because it's a six-week commitment in in summer, um, and that's not always everybody's cup of tea, and so we had a couple hundred faculty sign up, I guess, in anticipation of them having to teach online in the fall, and possibly again in, in the future as more colleges and universities adopt online learning programs, and so I think a lot of colleges opened up space for their faculty to actually focus on faculty development last year. And they also supported it with funding. And that was huge. And we love to see that because so many times faculty will say, I would love to do this kind of um, in-depth teaching um, and learning support, but I don't have the time because my institution doesn't have any support for that? It doesn't value that in the you know promotion and rank system, or they don't have any funding specifically for teaching set aside for for the faculty. So last year, obviously, a lot of things coalesced and faculty had were given space and time by their institution and funding, and that also helped um, cool be successful. But yeah, it was very successful. We we were absolutely thrilled um, to be able to welcome so many faculty who were just. Uh, incredible, um, creative, uh, very caring, empathetic, all of these wonderful things that we want to see in our educators. And it was so heartening to know that across the globe, there are these people in classrooms teaching our next generation of citizen scholars um, It was it was wonderful. Um, So we have cool coming up again. um, And we have our workshops and our webinars. And then we have our our community and our community is ongoing. And that is where you can connect with us, Judith and I and other facilitators that we bring in. We bring in guest facilitators. We do webinars. um, We do weekly check-ins small group check-ins with everybody and then we also have asynchronous um resources for everybody so so
1: so if people can't be there synchronously they can still get the training they can still have the support and still be a part of the community yeah that's that's great you're really hitting you know all types of people who can i I, if when i first started teaching online if i wasn't so tech savvy i probably wouldn't have figured it out (laughs) i would definitely (laughs) have wanted to be in one of these workshops and i did see Um, from your post on linkedin and also on your site and i want to give a huge shout out to barbie honeycutt and her lecture breakers conference is you guys are doing like a combined experience of cool plus lecture breakers which who thought of that idea um you that is that is amazing you get to go to barbie's conference and then you get to be a part of cool so you can meet all the different speakers. And I, I know we're all speaking there this summer. I, I love Barbie's conference. It's so high energy yeah. and it's, it's, you meet so many different people. Um, and in the virtual space, you know, you, you lack that in personness, but it felt so, it felt like you were there with them. Just Barbie does a, a fantastic job. So I have to give yeah. her a huge uh, shout out. Judith, yeah. any, anything else you want to add about the surfaces and things that OLT offers?
2: I think that Melissa did a great job capturing the the workshops and things that we have coming up and as well as the Community. What I love about cool um, is that we're seeing folks so let's say you attend lecture breakers like any great education conference you're getting all these great ideas you're getting juiced with all this creativity and. If you hang on just a few extra days and join us for cool, you yeah. can, afflu- you can, you can, it's apply. like an influx
1: of information. It's like, ah, overload, but it's, yeah. it's such a good, like, you know, not you physical up- soreness. The mental soreness is, is like, I have so many ideas. I just want to implement right yeah. now, but
2: before the wind leaves your sails, you can just take it into cool and apply it right away into your course design because that's, that's a large part of the work that we do together as we're starting to prepare our courses, um, for the next year.
1: That's amazing. And I'm so glad. So Melissa said that you had some stats, Judith, do you have any stats for us of what, how many educators have been through cool or I don't
2: know the exact number, but it was, (laughs) it was over 400 total cool.
1: my goodness gracious (laughs) and i know that you have some great guest facilitators who help you with that and that's important to you know you guys are fantastic but you guys have you have time constraints and it's great that you can bring in people who are willing to support your vision and facilitate these workshops or these courses so I, I could talk to you both about this all day, honestly, um, what you do in like pre COVID, I was already a huge fan of the both of you. And then post COVID, I'm like, they are going to take off. So how have things you've talked you've talked a lot about COVID and the impact, but how have things changed for OLT with COVID? What is, what has been the impact of that? You know, besides getting more people that want to learn about you, um, What have have you had to pivot or anything? Are there any challenges you had to overcome? So talk about that a little bit.
3: I think one of the things that we had to, you know, really dig down deep and and think about and reflect on was what kinds of services could we provide? Um, And we provide a lot of different things, the workshops, the course design groups, the community of practice. We also go into um, schools, invite us in, and then we can do like a, a training course for them or a introduction to online teaching course for them. So we were just doing a lot of different things. And we really had to stand and say to ourselves, what is the thing we are going to double down on? What are the services we are absolutely going to say moving forward? Yes.
1: to?" Yes. My ADD mind gets caught up in that. That's yeah. all for everything, but figuring <laughs> out what <laughs> figuring out what's where the focus really needs to be
3: and we and to find that we really thought about one what are we you know just youth and i most interested in providing um and facilitating and then two what is what is the need right now and having to be really honest about what where the needs were with people um and thinking most deeply I would say about um the people who are most vulnerable in higher ed. So thinking about adjuncts, what do they need? What kind of services can we provide for them, grad students? And really helping ourselves to let go of some things that were not necessarily working the way we wanted them to, um, even though maybe you know they, they were bringing people in the door, they just were not things we were willing to keep going. So I would say COVID really helped us to prioritize and refine the things we were doing.
1: That's great. Uh, I, I feel like I was all over the place with COVID, like trying to figure out what to do next. I'm right in the middle of writing a dissertation, but I'm glad to hear that the two of you were able to prioritize things and organize them so people could sort through the clutter and find exactly what they need. Cause you know, those ideas, once you're in that creative state of mind and you have so much to offer, it's really hard to sort through it and be like, this is the thing I really want to narrow my focus on. And I think OLT and you both do a great job of that um, in providing that support to your customer. So pat on the back for you. Um, Judith, do you have anything you want to add? I feel like we're always
2: applying um, our, our, we practice what we preach. We're always applying our instructional design thinking and our design mind to what we do. Um, so Melissa and I often reflect, we look at feedback, we talk to our community members, um, and we just think about where can we do the most good? Um, and, and that is where we try to keep our focus. But we, we do it in the same way that we encourage our community members to do it with that design, intentional design.
1: Yeah, I, I think I have a lot to learn from the both of you. I actually talked to a dissertation coach today because I just can't focus. It's so terrible to say that because I find like this podcast is like a relief for my mind. Cause I can sit here and focus on just this. Like I turn everything else off and I love it because it puts me in a state of mind where I'm, I'm in my element per se. Um, so it's just, I have to find that focus. And I think I probably need to take a workshop or a webinar too.
3: <laughs> that's, okay. that's one thing we say all the time to the faculty we, we serve is, you know, come as you are. Um, it, we say that constantly. If you can only make time for 10 minutes with the community this week, because everything's kind of crazy, then we'll take 10 minutes. We'll take you whenever we can get you because it's a service we're we're providing for you. It shouldn't become this like obligation and this burden. And really we're seeing a lot of, a lot of that, this idea that people are having a hard time focusing and uh, there's a lot of, you know, cognitive overload for people. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that that's really true right now. And, you know, finding a space where you can just, let things, let certain things fall away, focus and prioritize. That's really important.
1: It is. It is very important And to take that time you need. Cause I probably like the, both of you, I have to be in that state of mind where I can actually focus and think to make it the best that it could possibly be. And don't tell me why I was thinking of the Nirvana song when you said that. oh we're so we're so i don't want to become an ancient artifact just yet um (laughs) but it looks like it's, it's going that direction so i have two final questions for the both of you and i want to get your take on both of them so the final two questions um i have for you in thinking about you know, ed tech and all those things, is there anything that we missed? Is there anything that we didn't share about OLT or about you all? You know, anything that you want to talk about that's coming up? And also for both of you, and I'm really interested to hear what you say, have to say about this is what does the future of educational technology look like? So in the next five to 10 years, down the road, what do you see happening? So do we miss anything, anything coming up you want to share? Um, and then what does Ed tech look like? What's the future of ed tech? So Judith, you want to start? So just thinking about
2: what anything else that we would like to share, um, just emphasizing that idea that, that the cool community, the camp operation online learning, we, we really do walk you through the course design process and we have a very good time together. So if you are looking to design an online course um, and, you, and you have some time this summer to dedicate to that, that we would love to be your community um, and, and welcome you there and, and help support you through that process. As far as, Ed tech and what the future looks like. I think that that is a, a great question. If I had my magic eight ball right now, I would I would say um future looks hazy because I think um all the talk was about okay, we're we're doing pre-COVID virtual reality, you know, that's going to be coming here. Um, or it is here and it's it's just gonna grow into the um, education space and um augmented reality and artificial intelligence and things like that. And those are some high-tech concepts. And and I think that you know it is happening and there's there's definitely still going to be growth in that area. But I think that also some of the practical needs are coming to the surface. Um, Some of the gaps in the types of tools that need to be more accessible to educators are coming to the surface. Really simple things like um, we get asked all the time by our community members. This activity feed that we're all that we're all using to talk. How can we get that in our learning management system? Why isn't that there? Right. So how can we make it more communication focused in our learning management systems? Do we need LMSs that? Are, are this compartmentalized? Can it become more of a holistic learning experience or a holistic classroom? Um, so I, I think that while there's that exciting high tech stuff still happening and it's still coming, I can see EdTech trying to bring some more of those practical solutions that just make sense for us right now. Or at least that's what I'm hoping is going to happen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's what I do. I hope that's what happens. And I definitely think VR and AR and all those AI, all that stuff is going to disturb in the positive way education. So I'm right there with you, Judith. I totally agree. What about you, Melissa? What do you think?
3: Oh, this is such a good question. So I would say that Where I hope EdTech's future is going is um, learning some lessons from the pandemic. And one of the biggest lessons I hope EdTech has heard and can find solutions for is humanizing the learning management experience and humanizing online learning in general. Um, So many of the tools we talk about when we're talking with educators in our community and when we go out to schools and talk, is about how to use certain technologies to bring people together and to make it a more personal humanizing experience. So we're talking about things like video and audio and having, you know, structures in place where it's just easy to do it. Um, so many times it's like, oh, we need a plug-in for this. Oh, we need to go and buy this expensive tool. So I'm hoping that one of the lessons we've learned from the pandemic is that these tools should be readily available, accessible, and easy to use. Um, And if I had my wish, that would be what all of EdTech was working on right now. Um, And not to forget the fun of it. Um, You know, one of the, it's so funny, one of the the features that I think we always get the biggest kick out of whenever we're doing any kind of professional development stuff is the filters in Zoom. you know, they're just kind of goofy and they serve really no purpose other than to be kind other of.
1: Other than to be ridiculous. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> and and you know, it just, all of a sudden everybody just lights up and you can feel the whole virtual room take a deep breath. And you know, we don't always have to have these really high-minded ideas in in our classroom. Sometimes it can just be fun and it can just be human and it can just be about interacting. So I hope ed tech can give me lots of solutions that do those things.
1: Me too. I'm hoping for that as well. Um, I want all the things I want the fun. I want the learning. I want the, I want to know how to use the technology like I do right now, you know, but I'm, I'm also realizing that the, the newer generation coming into the workforce soon is we're going to be the dinosaurs in the room, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm coping with that. I want to learn from them. I want to grow with them. Um, but I, I just wanna say, I can't thank you both enough for coming on the show today. You're two of my favorite people. You know, I watch you both on LinkedIn, Melissa and Judith, what you're doing in this space is so vital and it it takes a lot of time um, and the expertise that you bring to push education forward and help the faculty, you know, that, that really helps the students. So I can't thank you both enough for your time and talking to our audience about what you're doing and the services that you offer. Um, everything is going to be in the show notes so people can check you out thank you both again for coming on Um, and I hope I I hope to have you back again soon Um, you know maybe a year from now to see what you're doing
3: thanks Holly we'd love to come back absolutely Um, thank you for having us this is wonderful
1: this is fun thanks so much (laughs)
0: You've been listening to another episode of Ed Up Ed Tech with your host, Holly Owens. You can follow Holly on LinkedIn. You can also visit her website at jollyholly.me to find out more about what she's up to. Please head to Apple or wherever you download your podcast content and leave us a rating, review, and please subscribe to be notified of future episodes. This has been another incredible episode of Ed Up Ed Tech with your host, Holly Owens.